My name is Corey Beery. I am a lay pastor here at Rocky Mountain Calvary, um, so I am honored and privileged to be able to share with you tonight. Uh, tonight we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 16, so if you would turn in your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 16. So some of you might be saying, well, I didn't come to hear you, some bald, short guy. I came to hear this big, tall, skinny guy. Um, there, the pastors, the pastors have gone away on a retreat, uh, just a time to be refreshed and encouraged together. So uh, if you think about it, pray for them. Uh, they, again, are uh, hard at it, I'm sure. So uh, very blessed to be here tonight. So if you will, just join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for tonight. Well, we thank you that we have this place to gather in. Uh, Lord, to open your word, to study, Lord, to be encouraged. Lord, to be strengthened in you. Lord, we do want to just pray for our pastors. Lord, is there a way? Lord, we thank you for the service that they uh, have given to you and to us. Lord, we ask that you would truly refresh them. Lord, that you would strengthen them to continue in the work. Lord, I pray that you would protect them as they're away and bring them home safely to their families and to this congregation. Lord, I pray that you would continue to use them greatly. Uh, Lord, in ministering to us and, uh, Lord, doing your work. We thank you for this church that you uh, have blessed us with and allowed us to be a part of. Tonight, we, we give ourselves to you, Lord. This service is yours. Lord, I ask that you would use your word. Lord, I would simply just be a vessel that you pour your spirit through and onto your people. Lord, we give our time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to start with a bunch of questions. I'm going to just nail, nail you with a bunch of questions. How many of us are waiting for uh, an open door? I was thinking about uh, what am I uh, going to teach on tonight, and I, I, the Lord really did put this on my heart, and I'm like, okay, what's the title going to be? And just to give you the spoiler, the title is Closed Door Ministries. Um, and I know we have Open Door Cafe, so we're not talking, we're talking pretty much the opposite, um, Closed Doors. But how many of us are waiting for God to uh, just reveal a clear path to us? Probably most of us, right? As Christians, we're, we're, we're seeking God. We're, we're like, God, I want to be used. Will you please just make it very clear to me where and how you want me to get there? Most of us want, us, want God to clearly show us his will and direction. But we continue to run into closed doors, don't we? So when we run into a closed door, I want to see a show of hands because you're going to see mine go up. How many of us become frustrated and discouraged? Oh, man, look at those hands. I want you to look around the room like that's a lot of hands. Great. Thank you. I, I know that this message is going to speak to you tonight. Because <laughs> uh, we all get there, don't we? We've, we've all been there at some time or another. And it's It's discouraging. Maybe we're in the middle of a work. Maybe, we, maybe God is currently using us, and then all of a sudden, the door right in our face is closed. It's like, God, I thought we were going in this direction. And God says, no, not anymore. Have you ever heard it, the saying, when God closes a door, he opens a window? I'm not going to say that tonight. Uh, I just wanted to see if you actually have heard that. Um, I have, and I, I, don't, I don't know if it's true. <laughs> well, that's not my teaching. Uh, how many of us have been being used and we run straight into a difficulty or a tragedy? 
and it totally derails us. It doesn't seem, again, doesn't seem to make sense. God was doing great things. He was clearly moving in our lives. He was clearly using us in the lives of others. And this difficulty, this tragedy, it just doesn't make sense. And we start to ask more questions. Did God stop worrying? Working? Did God stop caring? Is there anything left for me to do? It's hard to accept the times of tragedy and difficulty. But we need to understand that they're all a part of God's plan. We read it in Romans chapter 5. Romans 5 tells us that tribulations produce perseverance, which produces character, which produces hope. Hope, that's what we have as Christians. Tonight what we're going to look at is even the great apostle Paul came across closed doors. Now I don't know about you, but when I think really about that, I'm like, really? Like Paul, he could, just handkerchiefs could touch the guy. You mean he couldn't just push the doors open? He came across closed doors. He had difficulties. What I'm hoping we take away from tonight is how do we respond when we come across those closed doors and those difficulties? I don't think there's a person around that would argue that Paul had a heart for ministry, for serving others and showing the love of Jesus Christ. And if you've read the New Testament, again, you know he ran into difficulties. He faced many challenges. But two, something that we see in Paul, and I think what draws me to Paul and makes me uh, pursue a lifestyle, a ministry such as Paul's to model myself after him, is his willingness and ability to carry on. When he was knocked down, he got right back up. And we're going to look at that tonight. Uh, here in just a minute, I'm going to give you an example. When he was knocked down, and he got right back up. Paul had an ability that no matter what he faced, no matter what door closed before him, he had a desire to continue on and accomplish the work that God had set before him. And probably most impactful to me is one of the, and one of the most motivating things is how when he did this, it had the greatest impact on individuals. When he didn't pull back, when he didn't just sit there and do nothing else, but he got up and he went in and he pressed on in the midst of difficulty, when he realized it was a closed door, but God didn't open a window, he opened another door and he walked through it, Paul had amazing impact in the lives of individuals for eternity. Because he hung in there, because he pressed on through these difficulties, these challenges, because he didn't take the easy road every time and the easy way out. He had opportunities to change these lives for eternity. And we're going to see that many, many were saved. So I just want to give you a quick little glimpse of Paul's life. And I'm going to start with his conversion. It's Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verse 15 and 16, shortly after Paul is converted. God declares this of Paul, that he is a chosen vessel. Remember, he, God is speaking to Ananias. I need you to go over and talk to Paul and let him know this. Let him know that he's a chosen vessel of mine, that he's going to bear witness before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And then he says, and I need Paul to know that he will suffer for the name of Jesus. 
Wait, fall's just getting started. I, wait a second. I, I thought when you became a Christian, it all got easy. Now, right away, Paul is told, you're going to suffer for the name of Jesus. Later on in the chapter, Acts 9, 23 to 29, shortly after his conversion, uh, he's, he's ready to do the work of ministry. And he goes out. And he begins to minister to the Jews, his, his kinsmen, um, his countrymen, and they, they reject him. They're, they're actually ready to kill him. So he goes from there to Jerusalem to be with the believers. And what did the believers do? They reject him. They distance themselves from him. They're not even sure they can trust the guy. At one time, he was ready to kill them. And then in Acts 14.22, Paul exhorts the believers with this. This is one of Paul's first messages, if you will. Acts 14.22, Paul says, We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. He got the message really early, and he embraced it. This message is one that Paul didn't only preach, but we learn and we read that he lived it out daily. So because of what we read in the first part of 16, I need to tell you what happens in Acts chapter 15. There's this big meeting of the minds, all of the, the council and the elders, uh, the apostles, they meet, and they, they're trying to determine if uh, the, the Jewish believers should come under the law of Moses, if they should be circumcised. Well, the answer is no, it's not required. I want to read for you Acts 15 verse 19 and 20. This is what they say. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles. Sorry, I said Jewish. I meant Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. So they are not going to lay this burden on the Gentile believers that are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And so now Paul and Silas, they're going out to share this message on the second missionary journey of Paul. Uh, The Gentiles, all you must do is believe in Jesus. So Acts chapter 16, verse 1 says, Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, that is Paul, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. It's important for us to recognize one thing here, and this is the very place uh, that in Acts chapter 14, um, Paul shares a message is Paul and Barnabas at the time. And, and the people, they hear it, and all of a sudden they're so ecstatic, they're ready to actually worship Paul and Barnabas. But in a matter of minutes, it seems, they're throwing stones at Paul and they actually stone him to death, drag him outside of the city, and leave him for dead. And this is the place he gets right back up. God does a miraculous work, heals him, and Paul goes right back into the city. And now this is the second time he comes back into the city. Uh, I believe that what we read here of Timothy, um, this this young believer, I believe Paul's uh, ministry of being stoned, if you will, um, had great impact on Timothy. 
So he comes back to the city. In verse 3, he, as he finds Timothy, it says, Paul wanted to have him, Timothy, go on with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region. For they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. If you've read Paul's writings, you know that Timothy becomes one of his closest companions. He becomes a son in the faith. They, they're side by side at times. There's times that Paul trusts him enough to send him out or to leave him in a city so that he'll, he'll be able to minister and then follow Paul later. But we read here that Timothy's father was a Greek and his mother was a Jew. So uh, in, a, in the Jews' eyes, he was Jewish, but uh, he was uncircumcised. So he was a, an apostate Jew, if you will. Um, and with Paul wanting to take him, this could, be, this could become an issue. We also read of Timothy. It said there that he was well spoken of by the brethren. So it tells us that Timothy seems to be a well-grounded believer and in service for the Lord. He's, he's, he's working for the Lord. And, and so Paul sees this young man and he says, I see something in him. I want him to join me in, in the ministry, in the journey that we're, we're about ready to start and, and go on and continue in. So it says that Paul took him and circumcised him. Again, I don't want to spend a lot of time on Acts chapter 15 because if you started to look ahead at 16, it's 40 verses and we have a long ways to go. Um, but in Acts 15, again, there was a decision made that the Gentile believers and really any believer didn't have to go under the law and become circumcised. So what's going on here? To me, the most important part of that is not just going under the law, but they don't have to become circumcised. This is a grown man we're talking about. This is bad news, not the gospel. It was determined this wasn't required. So what we read here of Timothy could confuse us at first glance. Some might say, doesn't this go against the very message that Paul and Silas are now going into share with the Gentiles? Doesn't it go against the decision of the Jerusalem council? I personally believe that it's in perfect alignment. What do we read that Paul, why do we read that Paul does this? Verse 3 says, it's because of the Jews who were in that region. Again, I just want to remind you of what the Jerusalem Council had determined. These are the things they asked of the Gentiles to abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. So again, why is it in perfect alignment? Those are the things that would offend a, a Jewish brother. And so here, as they're getting ready to go out and do the work, Paul does this for the sake of ministry. He did what he did so that the message they were about to share and this journey they were about to go on would have its greatest impact possible. Now, if you're like me, you step back a minute and say, well, what about Timothy? Where's Timothy in this? Like, isn't he the one that ultimately sacrificed? How about Timothy? I want us to just think for a minute about what he's done. What a perfect example of laying down our rights so that others might hear the message of the gospel. Right? We could back up and say, 
He could say, no, Paul, no, 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 no. I heard the message. I'm not going to do it. But he says, you know what? I, I know I have that right. And I don't have to do this. It's not for my salvation. But I understand that it could be a stumbling block to those that we will minister to, to the Jews. I want them to be saved. And if this will keep anyone out of eternity, anyone from accepting the message of the gospel, I'll do it. I'll set my rights, my liberties aside. See, you and I have liberty and we have freedom in Christ, but there are times that for the sake of others, we need to lay down our rights so that we can clearly and without distraction preach the message of the gospel and it can be heard. And that's what takes place here. Again, look at verse five. What does it say? So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Again, I just want to ask the question, what is it that keeps so many from understanding and hearing the message of the gospel in, in the day and age that we live in, especially in our culture, the land of the free? It is Christians who are unwilling to lay down their rights so that the unbelieving world can know what it means to truly follow Jesus Christ. Here the message went out without distraction and the churches are strengthened in faith and increase in number daily. I, I hope that that's our, our passion, our desire in the Lord is to see many come to faith in Jesus Christ and in no way would we want ourselves to be what keeps them from hearing the message. Verse six goes on and says, now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. Again, one of the most difficult, the toughest aspects, I believe, of the Christian life at times is knowing the clear direction of the Lord. And how often are we looking for open doors before we'll even make a move? All right, God, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to pray. Just open the door. Ah, you haven't opened the door. I'm just going to pray. God, I'm just going to pray. Open the door. But often what we see here is what God wants to do. God just wants us to move. And as we move, the way he directs us is by closing the doors. And this was true in Paul's life. This is what we see here. He's praying. He, he knows that God wants to do something. And so he begins to, to move and try and go this way. And God says, no, I want you to go. I want you, that, you can't go that way. So Paul says, okay, if I can't go that way, I'm going to go this way. And God says, no, I, want you, I don't want you to go that way. And Paul says, okay, I'm going to go this way. And they're finally able to go down to Troas. But it's, again, he learns that through the closed doors and it says it is the spirit that is closing the doors. So it isn't something that Paul is doing wrong or right. It's just the spirit of God is leading him through the closed doors. That's not easy, is it? Because that hurts. I debated on whether or not telling you this, but there was this one night. Uh, we had some young, we have, we have four kids and I don't know which one it was. I think it was our third one. 
Uh, they, they were in the other room, and we had those baby monitors in our room, and it was in their room. And my wife and I are sleeping, and I hear the baby cry, and one of the maybe, probably the only time I actually got out of bed to check on the baby when it was crying. Um, it was dark. I get up, and I'm getting ready to go out of the room, and boom! Somebody had closed our door. That door is never closed. <laughs> it hurts to run into a closed door. But in the Christian life, sometimes that's what God wants to do. It's how he sometimes leads us. As they're out on the mission field looking for where the Lord would have them to go, have them to minister, it was by closing one door after the other that the Lord gets them to Troas. And so we read in verse 9, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, including, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So as they're seeking the Lord's direction, Paul receives a vision. And it's of a man in Macedonia pleading with him to come over and help. It's a cry for help. So, as Paul sees this vision, he concludes that this is where the Lord would have them to go. We read that they head to Macedonia. I want us to notice one thing here. There is a grammar change. If you were... Uh, paying attention, which at times when we're reading it, it takes a minute, but it was a lot of they. Um, the writer was saying, they went, they went, they went. And here, all of a sudden, it says, we went. And I think what is so important here is, why is Paul where he's at in Troas? It's because it was one closed door after another. So who's this We. Well, this person is Luke, the Dr. Luke, the writer of the gospel according to Luke, the writer of the book of Acts. So I want you to consider for just a moment, if Paul had just stood still, if he hadn't continued to press on, he very possibly and probably never had met up with Luke where he did in Troas. But he got to where God needed him to be and God wanted him to be by God guiding him through the closed doors and he kept moving until God got him to this place to meet Luke who wrote a majority of the New Testament. Sometimes God can do some of his greatest work by closing doors and leading us right where he needs us to be. I want to encourage you as we continue on and we hear this message, as you press on in your Christian journey, wherever God would take you, keep moving. And when you come across a closed door, don't be discouraged and don't be frustrated. Press on and let the Spirit guide you. Let the Lord continue to use you. Verse 11, it says, Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in the city for some days. So they leave Troas, it says, they head to Macedonia, 
And they come to Philippi, which we read is the foremost city of Macedonia. It will be important to us. You need to hold on to this little nugget here that we get that this is a Roman colony. This is a part of Rome. Verse 13 says, And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. It seems from what we read here that there's not a synagogue. Um, As Paul started his journeys, one of the things he did first and foremost is go into a city, find the synagogue, and begin to preach to the Jews. Here, we don't read that in because it seems there's no synagogue. They go out to the riverside where prayer is being made. So there's very little Jewish influence here. They begin to talk to a woman by the name of Lydia. Verse 14 says, Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So, they, so she persuaded us. So one of the women, again, her name is Lydia, says she's from Thyatira, a seller of purple, but she's a worshiper of God. This is probably a fairly wealthy woman. That purple dye was highly sought after, telling us it probably was expensive. You know, you know how it is, supply and demand, they're always jacking up the price. This was a luxury product, but this woman is a seller of purple, and she hears the message of God, And it says that God opens her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. This should be our prayer, that God would do the work, that he would open individual hearts, and that they would be saved. She hears the message, verse 16, it goes on and says, Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her master's much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. This is where it gets a little interesting, isn't it? Uh, Again, they're out doing the work. They're out spreading the message. And all of a sudden, there's a slave girl that's following them around and it's discerned that she has a spirit of divination and she starts to become a herald for them. Hey, she's, she's got a great message too. These men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim the way of salvation for us. Who doesn't want that, right? That's the wrong messenger. Paul has the message and he becomes annoyed. He turns around and he says, stop it. <laughs> and he commands the spirit to come out and it leaves this, this slave girl and she becomes a not-for-profit. Ah, ah, ah. Yeah. I know. Her, 
her masters see again that uh, they, this is, this is their source of income. They're making money off of her. So they become upset. And so they grab Paul and Silas and they drag them to the authorities. And then verse 20, and they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Here's the tragedy. Here's the difficulty. I've been telling you all night that Paul is where he's at because this is where God wants him to be. And hey, didn't Paul receive a vision? Didn't he receive a vision of a man calling for help? Paul, come down and help us. This is where God would have Paul to be, it seems. So why is he beaten? Why is he thrown into prison? Are you sure this is where God would have you to be? So they're thrown in prison. They're in the inner prison, the deepest, darkest dungeon of this city. Their feet are put in stocks. In verse 25, but at midnight, Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners are listening to them. I think it would be an understatement to say that Paul and Silas have come across a difficulty. I just said, hey, this is a difficulty, this is a tragedy. I think that's an understatement, right? Like, God clearly brought us here, and now all of a sudden, he's closed the door. He's brought us into another difficulty. We're thrown in prison. We're all washed up. We're locked up. We can't go anywhere. My question is to you, if you were in their place, how would you respond? Again, I started, I, I really set you up for this question, okay? Because when we started, I said, how many of you, when you come into a closed door, are frustrated and discouraged? Let me see those hands again. Uh, how do we respond? <laughs> With discouragement, right? We've all been there. It's no fun. It hurts to get the door slammed in our face. It hurts to think that we were right where God would have us to be and then all of a sudden, seems like plans change. Paul and Silas have just been unjustly arrested, unjustly stripped and unjustly beaten. And you're gonna, you're gonna hear it was all very unjustly. And they're now sitting in the inner prison where their feet are locked in stocks. And again, under these same circumstances, how would you and I respond? I've been there. I've responded with discouragement. I've responded with frustration. So I want to do something here. I'm going to ask for you to close your eyes, and, and we want to just imagine for a moment. We want to put ourselves uh, in their place. So if you would, close your eyes. Now, I just want to assure you, I'm not going to do anything weird. 
I'm not going to let anything weird happen to you. I'm going to walk you through this story, um, but I want you to close your eyes. And why? They're, they're in the deepest, darkest dungeon. It's, it's dark. Please close your eyes and put yourself in the story. So it's dark. There may be a hint of light, and you're getting that with all the lights in here. A hint of light coming through the cracks. It's quiet. The only thing you really hear are the chains from the other prisoners in the other cells. You have a stone floor beneath you. It's probably a little cold. And you're sitting beside Paul. All of a sudden, you hear, is Paul praying? Is he praying? He is. Do you hear him? Thank you, God, that you have counted us worthy to suffer for the sake of your son. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can, in this suffering, be identified with your son, Jesus Christ. Again, eyes closed. He stops praying, and then you hear something. Is he singing? You hold yourself still. You hold your breath. And what is it? Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. You never change. You never fail, O God. True are your promises. True are your promises. You never change. You never fail, O God. You see, you and I have to make a choice, don't we? We're sitting in this deep, dark dungeon It's cold, we're locked up, we're discouraged, we're frustrated, we believe that God led us here. We're sure of it, we saw a vision. We have to make a choice. How will we respond? We read Paul's response here. He prays, he worships. Church, tonight I want you to make a choice. How are you gonna respond? How are you going to respond? If you know this song, I ask that you would respond. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. You never change. You never fail, O God. True are your promises. True are your promises. You never change. You never fail, O God. So we raise up holy hands to praise the Holy One who was and is and is to come. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe that great is his faithfulness? Do you believe that true are his promises? 
despite the difficulty, despite the closed doors, if we are faithful, and regardless of whether we are faithful or not, he remains faithful still. In the darkest and quiet moment of the night, at midnight, they begin to pray and sing hymns to God. Notice, if you will, with me what we read at the end of that verse. As they pray and as they sing, the prisoners were listening to them. Church, it's in our darkest moments and in our deepest pain that we will have the greatest witness for Jesus Christ. It's when an unbelieving world that has no hope looks at us as Christians and despite the pain, Despite the circumstances, we are still praying to the true and living God and we are still singing his praises. And yes, I know it's not easy. I know it's not our natural response, but that's why it's so great a witness. We have something that the unbelieving world doesn't have and that's the spirit of the true and living God living in us. He's empowering us. He's strengthening us. He's comforting us. He's crying out through us to the Father. Romans 15, 13, Paul writes this. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What is it that we have as Christians? We have hope. It's not, I hope I'm going to have ice cream when I get home tonight. Unless I know for sure I'm going to have ice cream when I get home tonight. The hope that we have as Christians is a concrete assurance that God is good, God is faithful, and that we are his children. The life of a Christian is not some fairy tale life. We don't have some magical fairy dust that we pull out in difficult circumstances and we just start spreading it around. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. We are real people with feelings and emotions. This life can and is tough and sometimes it's even excruciating, isn't it? It hurts. But it's in these moments that the greatest witnessing can be done. I do want to clarify something here as well, because we're talking about the Apostle Paul, and our thought might be, you're talking about the Apostle Paul. Let me just make it clear, Paul's not some superhero Christian. He bleeds, he hurts, he has emotions and feelings just like us. He has weaknesses. We read of his wrestlings in Romans chapter 7. But in Acts 18 verses 9 and 10, just a couple of chapters from where we are, Paul's in the city of Corinth and we read this. The Lord speaks to Paul. Again, it's Acts 18 verses 9 and 10. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. Now, why would the Lord need to tell Paul that? 
do not be afraid. Because he was afraid. He was afraid. He was just like you and I. Paul, just like you and I, had to make a choice. Would he, will we, trust God? Be it in the midst of difficulty, be it when a door seems to be closed, will we and do we trust that God still has a plan and can and will continue to be with us? Do we believe that his love for us has not changed? Do we take him at his word? Romans 8, verses 35 and 39 says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of Christ, which is from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do we believe it? And how will we respond? Verse 26 How does God respond? With the worship and praise and praying, verse 26 says, Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Did God respond? Man, he responded. Does he respond when we pray? Does he respond when we worship? He does. He hears and he responds. There's this great earthquake. It shakes the entire prison, the foundations of the prison. Everyone's chains are loosed. What's Paul's response? An open door. It's not. See, this is another tricky thing, isn't it? Because so often we're looking for an open door. And is that really where God wants us to go? See, something dramatic happens here because Paul doesn't take the open door. He remains, and he was so great a witness in the midst of all of this that all of the prisoners remain. prison guard hears this he believes that no one's left he they hear him draw his sword and Paul says hold on a second we're all here seems a little dramatic but again the custom in that time the the obligation was of this prison guard if he lost his prisoners he paid the sentence he he was ready to die because he thought um, he was a dead man anyway but again they're all here Verse 29, then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And what if Paul had just took off running through that open door? We're not told. We're not told who the man in the vision is. Uh, Many believe, I believe that this is the man in Macedonian saying, I need help. And very possibly Paul recognized him when he's taking him into the prison. And so he knows this is where I need to be. This man, this prison guard brings him out and he asks a very important question. What must I do to be saved? And Paul gives him a very simple answer. And it's the simple message of the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. We read you and your household, but again, I want to make that very clear. Salvation is an individual act. Every individual must for themselves believe. Believe that Jesus died in our place, that he paid the penalty for our sin, that he reconciled us to God. He made right that broken relationship. He paid the price. And so this man believes, as does his house, and they are saved. Church, we could go on and read through the remainder of this chapter. We could go on and read through the remainder of the book of Acts, and we would, we would continue to see the difficulties. We would continue to read Paul come across a closed door or a tragedy, a difficulty, or a, another believer come across a, a difficulty, a tragedy, a closed door. This is the story of your life and my life. The book of Acts, the Acts of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the apostles, the disciples. The Spirit is still working today. And you and I, we admitted it right off the bat tonight. We face difficulty. We face tragedy. We face closed doors. I've been asking you all night, how will you respond? How did Paul respond? Again, the thing I wanted us to take from this study tonight is that very answer. When it gets tough, when it seems we can't go on, when it seems like our feet are in the stocks, we're, we're in prison. What will we do? Will we respond? Will we believe God at his word that he does not change? that he is forever faithful, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, that he does have a plan for our lives, and that if we will be faithful to continue to move and press in and press on, he will be faithful to lead and guide us. Will we just wait for the open door? Or will we allow God to show us where he doesn't want us to go? to get us where he does want us to be? Will we wait on the Lord? When we know where, where he would have us to be and it seems the door is open to run and flee, if this is a sure thing, 
this is where God would have me to be if I can have impact for eternity right here and that's the easy way out, which way will I go? How will we respond? Let me just assure you tonight, you'll have the greatest impact through the difficulty. It's not natural to choose that route. It's not easy. But God assures us that he will not leave us or forsake us, that he will remain with us. Tonight, I challenge you, I encourage you, press in, press on. Pray, praise. Worship him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the Apostle Paul. Lord, a man that we know was just simply a man. Lord, but he was a man that you, you used greatly. Lord, and it wasn't an easy, an easy road for him. Lord, and you told us, in this world, we will suffer tribulation or we will face difficulty. And we thank you for the assurance that you have overcome the world. And we thank you that you are faithful in our lives. That no matter where we are in the deepest, darkest prison or wherever we find ourselves, you are with us. And we thank you for your faithfulness, your kindness, your goodness, your grace, your love for us. We thank you that you desire to do great and mighty things in and through our lives, that you desire to, to use us for eternity's sake in the lives of others. God, I pray that you would strengthen your people by your spirit to be attentive to the leading of your spirit, to remain faithful to your call, to allow you to use us for your glory. Pray in Jesus' name.